And I was trying to share with him the, the importance of Jesus. Now, this particular fellow, he identified either as an atheist or a pretty strong agnostic. He really uh, did not believe that there was a God out there. He did have some church background. Uh, his, his family had been religious, and so he, he had some knowledge of, of uh, some of the basics, but uh, he really didn't believe. And so I'm, I'm trying to explain to him the importance of knowing Jesus. And And his response to me was that he didn't need this gospel that I was sharing with him because he already was following the Ten Commandments. And so there was no reason for him to do that. And I remember when that happened, scratching my head, thinking, wait a minute, you follow the Ten Commandments. Now, there's a problem here if you don't believe in God, because at least four out of the Ten Commandments are God-focused. You can't really follow them without having some kind of belief in God. But when he said that he was following the Ten Commandments, what he was really doing was uh, using that as shorthand to say that he was living a pretty moral life, that he was you know, not uh, overly bad, he wasn't going around killing people or, or doing things like that, he wasn't stealing things, and so he really was, was doing okay. So whatever was out there, uh, that was going to be enough. And I just found that that conversation was interesting, and it, 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 I'm always brought back to it whenever I think about the Ten Commandments. Now, even for Christians, there's some disagreement about the role of the Ten Commandments for us. Uh, what do we use the Ten Commandments for? For some Christians, the Ten Commandments are everything. For other Christians, the Ten Commandments are nothing. So the basic interpretations people have are that Uh, Christians are still supposed to follow all of the Ten Commandments. If you don't follow the Ten Commandments, then you're really not a Christian. There are other Christians who would say, well, we do not belong in the Old Testament era. Uh, That's the Old Covenant. We are now in the covenant of Jesus. And because we are saved by faith, uh, the Ten Commandments really has no role for us. Then there's others who would actually say that the Ten Commandments are the expectation, but The truth is, none of us can follow the Ten Commandments. We're all going to break them all the time. And because of that, we're pushed into the grace of Jesus. We are forced by our own weakness to rely upon Christ. And the Ten Commandments are used sort of as the hammer to to bring that knowledge to bear. Well, there's a little bit of truth in all of those, but it's more complex than any of those simplistic summaries. So that's what we're going to take a look at as we try to understand what the Ten Commandments mean specifically for us as Christians. So just to give you a little bit of background, we've been going through the uh, the story of Moses, and, and so we've already seen a lot of the background, but it's important for us to, uh, to be reminded of what's going on. So Moses was called to bring the children of Israel out of slavery from Egypt and to to bring them to freedom. And so what he did is he brought them to uh, Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb, and they uh, went to that mountain, and the law was revealed to Moses and was given to the people of Israel. Now, the law included the Ten Commandments, but it wasn't limited to that. There were many other commandments that were given as well. But the Ten Commandments were pretty important. And actually, when we looked uh, a number of weeks back at the story of uh, the people being commanded to not harvest all of the uh, their uh, 
their grain or their, uh, their vines around the edges, but to leave that to the poor. Uh, the Ten Commandments are found immediately after that passage. And so they were given at that time. But then we saw that the Israelites, as they were about to come to the Promised Land, uh, they didn't believe that they could really take the Promised Land. They didn't have full faith that God would give them the victory. And so because of that, they needed to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And during that 40 years, uh, all of that generation passed away, uh, except for uh, Joshua and Caleb. And at this point, Moses is still alive, but even he will not be able to go into the promised land. And so this brings us to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy takes place 40 years after the other books that we have in these first books of the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy is basically a second telling of the law. And the reason for that is that it wasn't enough for this generation's parents to have received the law, to have been reminded of what God had given to them. It was important for the new generation to do that. If this generation, which is about to enter into the promised land, and this time they will do it successfully, if they're going to do that, they need to be reminded of what God has revealed. They need to know the standards that God has set, and that's the only way that they are going to be able to fulfill the mission that God has given them. So it's important for this new generation to receive and to understand these Ten Commandments. Now, that was true for the Israelites, but what does that mean for us as Christians? Here we are, we are far removed from those events of entering in the land of Canaan. Here we are, what do we do with the Ten Commandments. Well, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul and his letters, he really emphasizes the importance of us being saved by faith and not by the law. He goes over and over again. Paul was Jewish in background, so he was raised to uh, hold dearly the entire law, including the Ten Commandments, and yet, having met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he became convinced that we enter into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus, especially in what he did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so a uh, just a, a superficial reading of his letters, you might think that there is no rule for the Ten Commandments, and yet that is not the case. When we go to the Gospels, we see Jesus making reference to the Ten Commandments all the time. He really seemed to think that there was something important in here. Now, we can ask, were Paul and Jesus in disagreement? And I don't think so. I think that they were on the same page. The the key here is that we are not saved by the Ten Commandments. You can't just go through and put a check mark next to each of these and say, okay, I have accomplished all ten of these, and therefore I have been adopted into God's family. It doesn't work that way. The only way we get into God's family is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, calling upon him as our Lord. That is what brings us into God's family. That is what gives us eternal life and forgiveness of sins. However, the Ten Commandments and all of the the rules that are found in the scriptures are helpful for us along that journey. The Ten Commandments don't get us into the 
family of God, but they help us to understand what the family of God looks like. And so that is the, the first part of what the Ten Commandments are. They are helpful guidelines as to how we live. We can look today at the Ten Commandments and see certain things and say, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. So uh, even the the person who is most emphasizing uh, faith in Christ alone and not salvation by the law, we can't look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, I guess I'm allowed to murder now because I'm no longer under the law. Well, that doesn't work that way. Uh, Not murdering is a pretty good guideline, okay? I highly encourage you not to murder other people. This is really important. Uh, And a lot of the things that we find in there, not stealing, uh, not bearing false witness, all of these things are extremely important for us. Again, not to get us into the family of God, but they're guidelines for what the Christian life looks like. But that's not the only thing that we find in the Ten Commandments, nor is it the, the only thing that's important. We also see in the Ten Commandments a glimpse of the character of God. And this is why I really push back against those who would say uh, we should just not worry about the Old Testament, we should not worry about the law anymore. The character of God is revealed in these commandments. Why does God say, do not murder? He says that because he values life. Why does he say that we shouldn't bear false witness? Because he values truth. Why does he say, do not commit adultery? Because he values faithfulness. All of these things are important because they are a part of who God is. So as we study the Ten Commandments, we actually can peel back and see a glimpse of who God is, his character, his nature, the things that he values. And that by itself is worth it. That is worth it. Because if we say we are in relationship with God, we need to know what this God is like. And so that is one of the reasons why the Ten Commandments is important to us. But on a practical level, as we seek to apply it, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? How does this look? Because the the truth is, we are in a new covenant. Uh, What our experience with God is, is not the same as what the Israelites were at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Uh, We are in a different covenant. So the rule of the Ten Commandments is a bit different. So we need to look at how that looks. So I'm just going to briefly go through the Ten Commandments to highlight how these things can be applicable to our lives today as Christians. So the first one is that we should have no other gods before God. Now, probably most of us don't struggle with polytheism. You probably don't have a, a, a secret uh, place in your house for uh, Zeus or some other uh, pagan god. That's probably not what you're struggling with. But uh, definitely in our world today, in the society that we live in, there are many things that call out to be our God, whether that is wealth or popularity or it could be almost anything that we would want to put up as a God above our God. And we have to be aware of that, that that temptation is continually there. And this commandment reminds us that no one or no thing is to come before God in our life. 
And then this brings us to the similar commandment of having no idols. And uh, you might wonder, well, what's the difference between having no other gods and not having an idol? Well, the command against idols was both to say that we shouldn't have an idol of a pagan god or a false god, but we're also not to have an idol of the one true God. That if someone had a graven image, image that represented the one true God, that was also breaking the commandment about idolatry. And the reason for having an idol was to make God into something that you could control. That you could take this idol of God and you could bring it where you wanted. If you didn't want that God to see what you were doing, you could put that God into a closet. You could uh, offer something to that idol if you wanted, or if you didn't want to, uh, you could do that as well. It was all about putting your faith and your God into your power, into your control. And we cannot do that. Even with the one true God, we cannot do that. God is God. We are not God. We are the ones who are to follow him. He is the one who is in control. And then we come to the commandment about uh, taking the, the name of the Lord in vain. And I used to think that that was simply about not swearing. Uh, you just shouldn't swear. Uh, especially, uh, you shouldn't swear using the name of God or the name of Jesus. That That was all that this commandment was about. But I've really come to believe that it goes far beyond what we say with our mouths. There are many ways that we can take the name of the Lord in vain. I believe that televangelists who are tricking people uh, to give their their money to them so that they could have their their uh, their next private jets or whatever it is that they're trying to uh, get people to give money to, when they're doing that, when they're using the name of, of God to try to, to become richer uh, for that, and they're tricking people, I think that they are taking the name of the Lord in vain, and they will be held in judgment about that. I believe that pastors who abuse their authority are taking the name of the Lord in vain. I think that the average Christian, when they are telling people that they are followers of Jesus, and then there is nothing about their life that reflects that Christ-like character, that that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. So it is something that we really have to watch out for, especially as Christians. And then we come to the commandments about Sabbath. And this is something that I find really interesting, because I think even if you go to the average pastor... And you go and show them the different commandments and they would say, yeah, absolutely. You know, we do, we have to follow all of these. And then you ask them, do we have to take a Sabbath day? I bet you there would be a lot of pastors who would say, oh no, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, sometimes, uh, I, I've heard this, uh, the, the conversation that people have where they'll say, uh, to a pastor, you know, when, when's your day off? And the pastor will say, well, uh, the devil never takes a day off, so I'm not going to take one either. And uh, the response is, well, maybe you need to find a better role model than the devil. Um, it is important for us to have a Sabbath. It is really, really important. Uh, now, in for the Israelites, that Sabbath was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So that's not necessarily what our Sabbath is. But it is important to have a Sabbath. It's built into our nature. We are not meant 
to be working all the time. We need to have a time of rest. And I've gotten to know uh, a Jewish rabbi, and it was I was able to observe what uh, Sabbath looked like for him, and it was it was actually quite freeing to to see what it is because I, I had kind of built up all the things that you would have to do to have a really godly Sabbath, and you know what he got to have naps without any guilt, and uh, that was a part of his Sabbath. And I thought, this, this is wonderful. God has built us to have some kind of a Sabbath, so whatever that might look like. That is important. Obviously, I can't take Sundays off. I've asked the deacons if I could have Sundays off. They have said no, that that's not going to happen. So I can't take all my Sundays off as my Sabbath. But we do need to have some kind of uh, a rest. We are to honor our parents, our fathers and our mothers. Now, I get a lot of questions about this. Does that mean we always have to be obedient to them all the time? Well... It depends on what they're saying, right? If, they, if, if what parents are saying is something that is God-honoring, of course, we, we need to be obedient to that. But there are times when uh, parents, uh, they might not be uh, followers or they might be making bad decisions. They might be asking something that goes against God's will. Then we have to take that into account, but we still honor them. We actually see in the Gospels how Jesus interacts with his mother. There were times where his mother came and said, you know, maybe you better hold off and just kind of stop preaching a bit. You're, you're going too far. Jesus didn't listen to her, but he still honored her. He still demonstrated honor. And no matter who our parents are, no matter what character they have, no matter what they say or what they do, they still deserve honor. Remember that God revealed himself as a father. That reveals to us that uh, that parent relationship is very important. Then we have the commandment about murder. Now, Jesus makes it a bit more complicated for us because he says when we uh, are filled with hate towards someone, that we are still committing murder. It's not enough for us to just not follow through by killing the person. Now, that doesn't mean that when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you have that moment of anger where you're like, oh, I can't believe that they just did that, uh, that you have, you're a murderer in God's eyes. That's not what it's saying. Really what Jesus is saying by that is, what would happen if there were no consequences? If the police wouldn't get involved, if no one uh, would be upset, if your, your reputation was not damaged by you doing this, would you actually go and kill the person? Do you hate the person enough that you would actually do that? Is it only the consequences that are holding you back? That is what Jesus is asking. And if it's that, then we have already committed murder in our hearts. He's asking us, to go deeper and to look at what's going on inside. And it's very similar to what he says about adultery. Uh, adultery is wrong, and he says that looking at someone in lust is wrong as well. And again, it's not about you you're happen to walk down the street or you're, you're watching a, a television program and you see someone who's physically attractive. It's not that you've committed adultery right there. The question is, if you could follow through, if you could do this without any consequences, if it would not affect your marriage, if it would not uh, affect your reputation or anything, would you follow through and actually commit adultery? That's what Jesus is asking there. It's not about uh, the thought police that the, the moment our, our mind strays in any way that we are uh, we're going to hell because we have done this terrible thing. Jesus is asking us to go beyond just 
outward obedience. He wants something more. Uh, we're told that we are not to steal, that we are not to take from other people. And that's pr- very, very straightforward. Uh, there's a commandment about not bearing false witness. And uh, false witness in the ancient world actually had life and death consequences because there wasn't an official police force. There wasn't a, a formal legal system the way we have it today with a, a judge in, in, in a courthouse and all that kind of thing. What would happen is it would be based on the witness of your neighbors whether or not you uh, had committed that crime and the consequences would be because of that. And so if you got a couple of people who uh, would say that you did this, even though you didn't, you could still be executed for that. It was a matter of life and death. Well, today, of course, even in our legal system, bearing false witness uh, can do that. But it, it is more than that. Bearing false witness can destroy can destroy a person's reputation. It can destroy their life by gossip and lying about people. And just uh, and in this world of social media, we can get those lies out to many, many people. So this is something that goes against what God wants. He values truth. And all of this really uh, comes down to the final commandment of coveting. We should not covet. Coveting is basically wanting what isn't ours. And that's what we're, when we're talking even about adultery, that's the, the same concept there of coveting. And coveting comes down to not being content with what we have and demanding what another person has. And here's the problem with coveting. You can never be satisfied. So you might look and say, well, I wish I had as much money as that person. But you know what? If you had as much money as that person, you would then want as much money as the next person after that. If you want a bigger house and you got that house, you would want a bigger house again. You would want a faster car. It just never stops. It is something that has a hunger that is never satisfied. And it can destroy us. And God does not want us to be consumed by that. 